Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. And we've got another huge show lined up today. We'll be joined by 2010 T20 World Cup winner Ryan Sidebottom to preview England's chances in this T20 World Cup and relive that experience in the West Indies 11 years ago. We'll also be joined by Chris Millard from the Barmy Army as they look to make it to the UAE to support England. And we'll bring you exclusive interviews with England's Stuart Broad and Dan Lawrence ahead of the Ashes. So, plenty to fit into the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Harmi, many people think that the uh, T20 World Cup begins at the weekend, but no, it kicked off on Sunday with an extraordinary game of cricket. And, well, we, you know what? We had Shane Berger on the show last week. He told us how good he believed his Scotland team was. He's the head coach. He said that they would make it into the group stage, into the, the Super 12 stage, and that they would cause a shock. Well, they've already done it. They beat Bangladesh by six runs. Yeah, they caused a shock. You know, this is why you know we've got so the Associated Nations in the tournament. Um, we've seen Ireland a few years ago beat England. There is a story out there. Hopefully, it could be Scotland. Yeah, it would be great to get Scotland in England's group. A lot of them Scotland players play in the local leagues in in around Northumberland and Durham. So, you know, I, I was pleased for for Carl Kurtzer and for Shane for obviously on what he said last week. And it's amazing, you know, when you go out and say something and make a big statement, your team backs you up and 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 comes to the party. So good on Scotland, and hopefully they can keep going. Yeah, I just think they were fifty three for six, um, and it was a, it was all going horribly wrong, and then they got to uh, to one hundred and forty. And uh, and restricted Bangladesh to 134. Absolutely amazing, and lots more exciting cricket to come from those uh, from those six associate nations. And I'm delighted to say, as promised, that we're joined live on the line now by Ryan Sidebottom, who has a very sore bottom. Ryan Sidebottom, yes, I have. Um, <laughs> if, if viewers are in, intrigued to why I've got a very sore bottom, it is because uh, I rode 86 miles uh, from Headingley uh, to Lincoln. Uh, in aid of the Professional Cricketers Trust. Um, so they were doing um, Leeds to London over three days, but I agreed um, for the charity to do the first leg, which was 86 miles. 
and my bum is still killing right now. <laughs> that was the, uh, uh, no, and it's not exactly flat from Leeds to, to, to Lincoln. How are the hills? And more importantly, what was the bike like? Well, they, Halfords kindly, we had a number of sponsors, Halfords kindly sponsored a bike, an electric bike for myself, knowing that I'm quite a heavy lad and, and I can't pedal very fast. But the electric decided to switch off during going up, up and down hills. <laughs> so I had the heaviest bike out of everyone, which made it even worse. So as you can imagine, there was a number of expletives coming out of my mouth at <laughs> a number of stages. But look, it, it was all for a very worthy cause. And, and you know, the PCA, as you know, Harmy, do amazing uh, work for us. They look after past and present players uh, from mental health to alcoholism. So just to give something back, really, and, and I enjoyed the day, met loads of lovely people. And yes, I'm still hurting from it, but well done to everyone involved, you know, giving up their time for, for a great charity. Ryan, there's a couple of things that we wanted to ask you about. Um, particularly, we wanted you to reminisce about England's 2010 T20 World Cup triumph. Um, you know, Certainly. your memories of that uh, campaign and how the game's changed in the last 10, 11 years. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot, lot of very, very fond memories. Um, lots of fun. It leads back to 2009 when on home soil we lost to Holland. We got knocked out. We didn't know which direction we were going in. The type of cricket we were playing wasn't very good or exciting. Um, a number of players were mixed in different types of positions. So it just didn't quite work. And then Collie was captain under his guidance. He went to the IPL, saw how the Indian Premier League played their style of cricket, the brand of cricket. So that tournament going to the Caribbean, we had no expectations. We had some very, very good cricketers. And it, it just took off from there. We, you know, we had that t great team spirit, camaraderie, some very, very good players, um, talented players involved. And we went from strength to strength in that tournament. And what I remember is, is not just the cricket, the fun that we had and togetherness. And, you know, I think Swanee's mentioned it on a number of occasions that he remembers, you know, after the game and, you know, having a few drinks, singing, um, singing a song by Jack Black on the coach on the way back, having won you know, beating Sri Lanka or beating West Indies. So it was, it was a great, great tournament. And it was nice to, you know, come, win a World Cup and, and do something very, very special. So I've spoke to Collie about this uh, on a couple of times on for, for different formats. And the, the brand of cricket that Fabris, Bayer-Bealis and, and, and Owen Morgan had from sort of 2015 onwards after that debacle in the World Cup, got them to 2019 playing this free brand of, of cricket. Go out and enjoy yourself and express yourself. But you've had that with, with what you had in that 2020 side when you look at the way Keyswetter played. Peterson was probably at the peak of his powers at the time. You know, you've had that five years before England even... Well, we, we heard first heard it. It's starting. And when you go into a tournament, you need a formula. And you've had a decent formula when it comes to you know, how your bat and performed, but also how your bowling unit was. We, we really did. And I think, one, we had there was no expectations. There was no pressure on us. No one really expected us to do very much. But it all changed um, during an A, a tour. We had the England first team played England A team, and it was Lummy and Keyswetter at the top of the order. And they really opened everybody's eyes, not just, just mine, you know, bowling at them, how attacking they were. It was that no fear brand of cricket that was, wow, we're going to take it to the bowlers. And, and they really they hit us to every part of Abu Dhabi. 
Mm. And and I think it was a huge eye-opener to, to Collie, to um, Andy Flower. That is the style and, and the route that Collie and Andy Flower wanted to go down and play that style of cricket. And I think then with the bowlers, we had all variations. You know, we had the, you know, back of a length bowler. We had all the skills. You had that left arm spinner, Michael Yardy, and then Swanee in the middle overs, who were two brilliant operators. And it just, everything just fit into place. And yes, I think we were kind of a little bit before our time. I think a lot of England fans and England players had not really seen that before, either the, the style of cricket that we played. And it certainly continued. And I suppose Owen Morgan being around that setup has certainly continued with his style and, and his own style of captaincy and the way he plays his cricket. And you know, do you see similarities to the, the the group that we've got now? When you you add Mills into it from a left armer's point of view, you got Woods, Pierce, you've got some experience, but also you know Lyon and Lent, like you mentioned, and, and the likes of Wokes and a bit of Jordan, and you've got two spin bowlers from a bowling point of view who are, for me, as good as anybody in world cricket at the shorter format. Yeah, I think if if we played this current England team, we'd absolutely hammer them, absolutely batter them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you're totally right. If you look at, I mean, this team is brilliant, isn't it? You, you've probably got 30, 40 players that you could choose from and it shows the strength and depth that we possess now. But yes, there are similarities in terms of, you know, the world-class spinners, you know, at the top of the order, the world-class batsmen. Guys now are travelling the world and performing on, on the biggest stage in IPLs and big bashes. So, yes, in terms of similarities, yes, there is hugely. But I think this team now just have absolutely everything. You know, it's in terms of the athleticism and the style and how they hit the ball now, they hit the ball even further and harder. And it's just great to watch, isn't it? You know, you want to see entertainment. And this England team certainly gives all, you know, the English fans that. Turning our attention to the Ashes, if we can. Um, we uh, Later in the, in the, in the show, we... Uh, going to be touching on the subject of line and length versus sheer pace and Stuart Broad reckons that it's a, it's a media myth that you need tall out and out fast bowlers to prosper in Australia that he reckons that you know what line and length keep it there line and length that's that's how you take your wickets in Australia your thoughts oh I mean it's it's a huge um opinions very divided isn't it in terms of what we, we kind of need from a bowling perspective in Australia but yes Look, line and length has always been there, top of off. You know, we talk about it, bowling, bowling for your, your teammate at the other end, bowling for maidens. But I really believe in Australia, I'm sure Hami will say the same, that we need that pace, something different, the, the variation in our attack to, to combat the different style of wickets and the fast bouncy where the Kookaburra ball doesn't really do very much. And you do need, I feel, that X factor that can come on like a tremlet like a Steve Harmison that can bowl quick, bouncy and, you know, disrupt the batsman's, you know, flow and also take wickets when when things aren't going our way. And, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think runs is important. I think you can have line and length, but you've got to have runs on the board to to, to sort of complement that. Uh, what do you make of our chances in, in Australia? And, you know, from a, a, a Yorkshireman who played the game in different counties, uh, our other talk sport Yorkshireman who played in different counties was very uninspired about the England squad announced, the 17-man England squad. <laughs> what have you met of the squad and also the Lions that are going out there as well? Yeah, I'd, look, I don't mind the squad, Harmy. I think it, it's the best what we can select at this moment in time. 
you know, with injuries and missing our, you know, two probably ugly, genuine world match winning winning players in Stokes and, and Joffrey Archer. Look, it's one of those that I'm I'm not quite sure how it's going to go. I have been 50-50 sitting on the fence in terms of where this team is going and how, are they going to do anything in Australia? Just because our top order, I think, you know, like you said, you have to score runs. You know, yes, you need to take 20 wickets, but if you don't have scoreboard pressure, you're never, ever going to win matches. And if you're 20 for three every single game, it's an uphill battle, isn't it, in Test match cricket all the time. And it would just be nice to see England go and be consistent and put pressure on the Aussies. But I think it's anyone's. You know, Australia possess a brilliant bowling attack, don't they? But I'm still not sure about their top order. You know, they misfire on a regular basis. So I think it's going to be intriguing. I can't really call it. You know, I'd love to say England are going to go there and do something special, but I'm not quite sure. And somebody who, you know, yeah, one of your best mates, you know, you grew up with, England coach Chris Silverwood. Is this the sort of is this going to define his career this next four months as England coach? The World T Twenty competition, which England are one of the favourites of, and Ashes away. Yeah, I'm sure it's huge, isn't it? I'm sure he'll be really excited knowing Chris Silverwood. He will have everything, all the eyes and T's dotted. He'll know all his players inside out. You know, he's that good man management style of of coach. Um, I th- I'm sure he'll just be excited. And yes, it, it could define him. He will have an amazing coaching career if he goes away with a World Cup and, a, and an Ashes victory this this winter. But it's going to be difficult. But, I'm, you know, for me, you know, under COVID and everything that's been going on, everyone's really excited. You know, people are stopping me in the street saying, we can't wait for the World Cup. We can't wait for the Ashes. What's going to happen? So the interest is, is huge. Um, so only time will tell, but... He will, he will have things in place. He'll, he'll know. He's been there and done it as a player. He knows the players inside out. So he'll be excited by, you know, the situations that England find themselves in this winter. Ryan, ice packs have many important uses, but not many people need to sit on one. So uh, we, <laughs> we, no. we, we can't keep... You know what? So does, so does Sudacrem. <laughs> <laughs> and Vaseline. <laughs> Vaseline's the biggest one. <laughs> Well, we thank you for your time and we, we, we wish you the very best of luck and uh, it'll be a while before you get back on the saddle, I imagine. Absolutely, mate. That, was, that was the incomparable Ryan Sidebottom. What a man, what a character. Now, it's been a tricky 18 months or so for all cricket fans, including the Barmy Army. But this month, they'll be taking 250 fans over to Oman and the UAE uh, to follow England at the T20 World Cup. So to tell us more about this and the difficulties they've faced, the director of the Barmy Army, Chris Millard, joins us now. Chris, I presume, I don't know if you're going to Oman, but I tell you what, if it's not on the itinerary, I recommend you uh, you stay on for a few days afterwards and pop over there. It's a fascinating country. I've only visited it once, but um, it really is, uh, it is amazing. And it's, um, you know, the mountain ranges and the little oases. Anyway, I'm digressing. Uh, we've, got, we've got a lot to talk about. So you're, I presume you're taking 250 just to Dubai and Sharjah, are you? Right now, yes. We are trying to get them in for the Abu Dhabi Games, which is looking quite good. However, there, there is a lot of red tape to get through, as with anything in travel, as you guys will well know. Um, it's very tricky to get through the um, the extra layers of admin, but we're getting there. And it's, uh, it's, we've, it's we've been waiting long enough to be on a tour again, so it's very exciting to be going away in the next couple of weeks. Chris, what sort of tour is it going to be? Because it's 
you go into a place, it's, it's not like the, the usual Caribbean, Australia. Um, are you taking, you know, 250 people who are going because they've been locked down for two years and haven't been able to see a cricket match? Um, or is it the traditional Barmy Army who have gone literally everywhere around the world and they're going to sample something different because you tend to not, don't do as much white ball stuff. It's normally the red ball tournament, uh, red ball uh, test matches you go for. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. But we've seen a real resurgence in people wanting to travel to watch white ball cricket ever since the the, the past um, World Cup win in 2019. But even before that, as well as the our white ball team started taking the world by storm, I, I think it really did see a resurgence of people wanting to follow the white ball game all over the world. So it's nice to see that. I think that there is a bit of people have been locked down for so long. Any cricket tour, this is the first one that can go on. Get me out to Dubai. Um, lovely bit of winter sun. However, they're also looking at what's ahead of them and thinking, OK, we might not be able to go to Australia this winter. So why don't I go and watch England in the T20s in the white ball? And and look forward to the West Indies in March if that's the case. So I think there'll be a few Barmy Army casuals that you see all over the world that are just absolute cricket anoraks. They'll be there, but there will be a lot of people that are there going because it's been so long since the cricket tour and they just want to get some winter sun and watch England hopefully become back-to-back white ball champs. I, I wanted to ask you as well about, I, I read a comment or two from you in which you were very calm and measured, but clearly angry as well when the fifth test match against india was was cancelled i mean um you you I, I i was maybe i was reading wrongly between the lines but um you know it sounded like you were sort of controlled seething <laughs> that's a great way to put it i um, <laughs> there was all sorts of shaking with anger rage it it, it was um it was so disappointing for i was, I was so angry about the the game of test cricket and how that was almost abused and just put on the back burner because of the IPL that was coming up. I thought it was absolutely disgraceful the the, the, the repercussions to everyone within the game of cricket that follows England around the summer in the UK but also overseas to to just be cast aside um, because of what what was the IPL that was going to take place in a few few days after that. Was was absolutely disgraceful, and I'm, I'm I'm still a little bit upset. But I guess we, we've moved on now. And we're looking forward to the winter and next summer. And what about the Ashes, Chris? You know, they're probably not going to be allowed in. You know, to the volume of of what they used to have from the Barmy Army point of view. You're going to recreate in the cold, in the cold in England, getting getting round a pub, seeing if we can stay up on all night and. Yeah, you know, recreate the Barmy Army by watching it on big screens around around well, TV, cricket clubs around the, around the country. We're going to try our best, Army. We're going to try our very best. But I think watching it in England in December in the winter is, is a bit more tricky than than what it is over in Australia. However, in the Brisbane Test match, we are going to do an event on day three, Friday, in London, where everyone can come down and watch with the Barmy Army. We've just gone on sale with that event. It starts at 11 p.m. and finishes at 11 a.m. So oh, that's... that sounds like a good day, that does. <laughs> that's going to be a very tasty night. Um, it's going to take some a lot of stopping up power, but also, I guess, a few drinks to, to see us along the way. But we're going to try our best. And I, I think the news that came out of New South Wales last week is only good news for everyone that have completely ruled it out. If they open the borders well, for New South Wales only, for, for a Sydney test, for... The fourth test, you can rest assured that there will be quite a lot of um, Barmy Army members jumping on that plane, even if it is for one test only. I have to ask you, um, 
on the subject of the ashes about the the brilliant banter that's been going on. I mean, highly entertaining banter that's been going on with Tim Payne, started by him with his comment about the ashes is starting on uh, on December the eighth, whether Joe Root's here or not. Were you? Is it? Was it you personally behind the uh, the riposte and then his response? It's been great, great entertainment. I might have had something to do with it. <laughs> I might have might have played a role. I was made aware of the stat, and and we. As a, as a team of Barmy, very small Barmy Army team that we have, we, we thought it was our duty to tell the rest of the world how far Joe Root is behind Tim Payne um, with with test runs this, this, this year, this calendar year. So it was amazing. We, we obviously put it out there and we expected to get a little bit of a response, but for, for Tim to go on a, a radio show in Australia and do an hour's show on it, it was it was a little bit hasty we thought from him. So if if we can um if look, it's it's all fun and games with the Aussies. We we love pressing the buttons, we love having a bit of banter. They receive it quite well usually and it really does make for a good series. So the fact that it, he's um already getting stuck in as he is, you can you can be very, very assured that we will continue on that same track and make sure that we can give Rooty and the boys a little bit of an edge if you like. We can try and rattle them from from the UK shores. And how good would it be, even if it's just New South Wales, to get a chance to go at Tim Payne actually in person, <laughs> right there at the ground, in his back garden, and give him it during that fourth test match? How would how how great would that to to get the Barmy Army back into Australia? Because it's there's I don't think there's ever a better sight. Two thousand and two three for me when we won in Sydney and the Barmy Army round where the scoreboard was. About twenty odd thousand people. It was unbelievable, especially when we when we won that test match. Um, how good would it be for the boys to have you lot out there? It would be it would be incredible just just to get out to Australia. Everyone has wrote this test this series off for, for something that we can travel over to. We've got we've got our expat communities out there that will will sing from the stands. I'm sure, but to to get some people through the door so we can try and give the lads an edge and try and give them a little bit of a, a buzz that the Barmy Army's there to support them, which what will have already been quite a long tour for them by the fourth test in Sydney with with the bubbles and everything going on. I think it would bring a great buzz to, to everyone, to the whole series as well. If you can get the Barmy Army in, it, it's going to be a far better spectacle than, than what it was w- without them in there. So let, let's hope that there can be some allowance to tourism in New South Wales and we can go over there and and give Rooty and the boys that little bit of an edge that you rightly mentioned does actually give you that 12th man experience. And I'd love to be able to take some some uh, Barmy Army members over to do that. Chris, I've, I've heard it uh, said many times that the Barmy Army has become a huge family, really. It's an extended family, but it's it's also a business. I suppose that makes it a family business. But on the, on the business side of things, have you managed to survive the last uh, 18 months? It must have been very hard. I mean, it is... You are a commercial business as well as being a family. Yes, absolutely, man. As we've got, we've got eight staff. We we have to we have to pay the bills. We we all have to try and keep operating. And when there was no travel for two years, it was extremely difficult. But we've we, like everyone else, we've we've looked at what we do and what what services we offer to cricket fans, but also to sports fans throughout the UK, and thought, okay, what can we do differently? So in the future, if this happens again, we're a lot more diverse, and we we've got a stronger business for it. So. 
um, that those plans will unfold over the next three or four years. But we're, we're very much in the same position as we were two years ago. We need tours to, to make money in the Barmy Army. That's how we, we make money as a business. We make money through membership, through travel tours, through merchandise. And with, with those two big avenues cut off of travel and merchandise, it did create some really serious problems. But look, we're looking ahead now. That That's all done. We're, we're still here. We're still operating. We're still happy. We're still excited to rattle the Aussies and, and also to get over to watch us win the T20 World Cup. And as soon as the regular touring calendar starts again, we'll be able to, to carry on growing and really excelling as a business as we were after 2019 in South Africa. Well, best of luck, Chris. Keep going. And uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's been great to chat. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for having me on. That was Chris Millard, Managing Director of the Barmy Army. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And next, we'll hear exclusively from England fast bowler Stuart Broad. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the great Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Time now to hear exclusively from England fast bowler Stuart Broad, who took time out from a grassroots session on the LV Insurance In With Heart Tour at Leighton Community Centre to speak with TalkSport's Scott Taylor. So Stuart, thanks for speaking to TalkSport. You're, you're at Leighton Community Centre today with the LV Insurance In With Heart campaign. Just tell us a bit about what you've been doing today. Yeah, LV Insurance and the ECB have got together in a, in a simple aim, really, is to, to take cricket to wider communities. And there's been a tour up and down the UK. And I'm, I'm here in East London 
growing the sport of cricket in the name of growing the sport of cricket. My, my personal view on cricket is I fell in love with it by playing, by picking up a bat, picking up a ball, getting that feeling of taking a wicket, taking a catch with my friends. Um, and until you've played the game, it's quite hard to understand exactly how fun and enjoyable it is. And I just, I do love to see the growing opportunities that kids can get playing cricket. So um, yeah, it's been really good fun actually. And some, some amazing talent on show. I mean, it was, uh, I was fielding in the covers for a period of time and actually having to duck it sometimes. So it was, um, yeah, it's, it's basically, yeah, trying to, trying to give as much opportunity to different communities to play the sport that, that we already love. It's interesting. You mentioned you fell in love with the game with, uh, by playing cricket. And there's a lot of people of, of my generation that would have fell in love by watching that 2005 Ashes series. So how, how excited are you to be looking forward to playing a part in yet another Ashes series? Yeah, they're very special to play in. You know, you, you get a, a nice blend of realising the history between England and Australia and, and what the Ashes entails, um, the competitiveness and the passion that happens on, on the field. And particularly in Australia, the, the way you're, you're not just playing against the Australian cricket team there, you're playing against the whole country, you're playing against Australia. You know, they are there to, they're there to win and, and win handsomely. Um, and, you know, I think that can actually bring you quite close together as an England team when you tour there. Um, we are going to be spending a lot of time, obviously, together because we're going to be in bubbles and et cetera in Australia. But, you know, we, we have to get tight. We have to... to um, support each other in in every scenario and I actually really fancy it as well you know I I think both teams are going to have no match practice really going into it we've got some guys at T20 World Cup some guys not played for four months they've got the same they've got guys haven't played for a year so I think it's going to be a really unpredictable series and that's brilliant for fans quite nerve-wracking for players but also very exciting it's I think um as an England team, well, once we get there, we need to completely stop talking about bubbles and quarantining and, and all the sort of little things of what's going on in each different state. We need to go talk about cricket and enjoying ourselves. And what can we learn about playing cricket in Australia? We've got some great experience in the group of doing that, but we need to turn our mindset purely onto cricket because we, ha- we have to put in a strong performance in Brisbane and we'll only do that by, by being very strong in our minds. Last couple for me. You mentioned the previous tours in Australia. Is there any extra motivation for you? Because you were part of the 2010-11 the series, but that was sort of cut short for injury for, for your sake. So is there even more motivation on your behalf to, to win in Australia again? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I obviously, uh, I got injured in the second test match of that winning tour in 2010-11, but I obviously went through the whole build up and the the growing stage to to help the team win over there so I did feel a part of that but you know I think it's unrealistic for any bowler to think they'll go and play five tests in this Ashes series coming up because the workloads will be very high Um, and we got we're going there with a group of bowlers to take 20 wickets in each test match and that might change but we all have the same goal uh, so yeah I mean I'm, I'm very hungry to go and play in Australia again it's a place that I've bowled well in the past and, and particularly certain grounds and um, share experience with younger bowlers and, and different bowlers coming through. Yeah, it's certainly something when you get to sort of 35 that you, you look at and think, you know, I really want to take, make the most of an opportunity like this. And they don't come around very often, although it's been such a unique one with, with the build up 
I think once we get into that week of the first test match, it will really feel like, uh, you know, we're into a, a big Ashes series here and I hope every player, player feels that. You mentioned the the bowling unit there and taking 20 wickets. There's a lot of been a lot of people saying, well, there's only one genuine quick in Mark Wood. But then you look at 10-11 and there was Stephen Finn and Chris Tremlett at times in the tour. So you've proved you can be successful down there with just one out-and-out paceman, if you like. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a, a media myth, actually, that talks about genuine pace being the key in Australia. I, I don't believe it is. I've been watching wickets. I got um, our analysts to put together all the right arm over and, and right arm round to left-handers, right arm over to right-handers wickets in the last six years. And it's it's not genuine pace that's doing the damage all the time. It's relentless accuracy and it's movement. Um, guys like Philander, Kyle Abbott, uh, you know, there's McGrath's obviously the famous one who, who did it year after year at 82 mile an hour. So in my belief, it's about minimising bad balls. It's about applying pressure for long periods of time uh, and keeping the scoring rate down. And if you apply that pressure, you pick up wickets in in clusters and, and getting movement, which we've got a we've got a world class attack at moving the ball. So I feel really positive about a, a bowling group. And we all know that in Australia, runs are the key. You need to go and get 450, 500. You look at the 1986-87 Ashes Tour, big runs in our team, a lot of 100 scorers. 2010-11, a lot of 100 scorers. That's what, that's what we have to do. And we've got the players that can do it. That was England fast bowler Stuart Broad speaking on the LV Insurance in with Heart Tour. Um, Harmy, really interesting, as Stuart Broad always is. I can't honestly remember, not since he was a, a callow youth, him ever uh, giving a, a, a dull um, interview. And he's always a, a deep thinker. What do you make of uh, the, his um, assertion that it's a media myth that you need to bowl fast and hostile in Australia and that really it all boils down to line and length? Yeah, I think I think he's right. Obviously, there is yeah, the line and length does help. I think if you've got pace, that obviously that does help because you, if you've got pace and you've got line and length, you've got a balanced attack. I think England are probably one pace man down. Broad, Anderson, Wokes, they're, they're, they're bankers to sit in for an afternoon around off stump and, and be quite comfortable having somebody else bowling fast around, fast around them. That, that helps their job. The other thing where, what I see with this England bowling unit is, yes, they've got bags and bags of experience, but they're going to need bags and bags of runs. If you've not got runs on the board, you just it's going to be it's, it's a game over. You've got no chance. So I think it's the team has to be balanced and play well together. But why not? I, I, I don't believe you, know, you have to be tall to bowl in Australian conditions. I don't believe you have to be fast to bowl in Australian conditions. Anybody else doesn't get a, doesn't get a wicket. That's not right. Glenn McGrath probably got 300 of his 500-odd test match wickets bowling at 81, 82 mile an hour in the back end of his career in Australia by bowling in and around off stump and saying, right, I'm not going nowhere. Do you want to make a game of this? You're going to have to come to me. And more often than not, Glenn got wickets doing that. And that's what Braun Anderson are at this minute in time. So they can bowl in Australia. But the problem is they need runs. And that is something that they'll be judged on that, that unfortunately. And if, the, if England don't get runs, there'll be a lot of questions. Not rightly so, it'll be wrongly. We'll get question marks on why are we taking Broad and Anderson? Are Broad and Anderson finished in these conditions? 
they can still bowl in these conditions, but then they need runs on the board to play with. I remember, Harmy, the first time test matches were played back to back. I mean, it was back page news. Do you remember? I mean, yeah. in the you know, in the nineties, there was a game or two between every test match. Um, and Stuart there talks about the lack of match match time, the 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 lack of overs in your legs, and he says that that adds a massive element of. Uh, well, I'm not sure he said massive, but it's an element of uncertainty. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the Ashes because there's so little cricket outside of the test matches. Again, probably a valid point, is it? It is, yeah. But unfortunately, this is the way the world is. This is the the, the, the sort of player power of playing all these different formats around the world and chasing, chasing the dollar that organisations don't want, to, don't want to have matches. The cost that they have around these matches... The cost of having the players in the in, in different countries for for a little bit longer, um, and also players need to have some time off between IPLs, World T20s, and and obviously the the Test match series. So that's all gone out the window. I've been I've been saying this even when I was playing. When England go and play five Test matches in Australia or five Test matches in South Africa, it should be like a British Lions type squad that goes into these countries and the preparation the best preparation the players can get will be in the net situations in game game situations in practice with a massive squad and basically you can have in-house games every single day of the week if you want them because you've got a huge squad there and I think that's what's going to be so valuable for England when they get over to Australia that they've got a 14-man line squad that's going they've got a 17-man squad that's there they'll be able to have proper intense match situation games in the middle um, and that will stand them in good stead because normally you go and play against, yeah, you go, you go and play against a bunch of old timers at Lilac Hill. Then you'll play against Western Australia's third team. Then you'll play against Western Australia's second team. And you might get Australia here. We got in 2002, three, we got Australia here in between the first and second test match in Hobart. But apart from that, you, you play very, very little cricket other than test matches. And if you can't get in the side, where do you get your form? If you're in the side and you need a, a lesser game just to get some runs and some nick, you know, where do you get that once the test matches start? Do you remember at the beginning of Chris Silverwood's reign as coach um, when England went to Sri Lanka? Time was obviously of the essence. And so they had these warm-up games against a local team, uh, two-day games, so they had no status. Um, and England would bat all day on day one and then bowl all day on day two. And one of the Sri Lankan teams ended up 220 for 14. Um, and it, it just, I mean, I, I got the principle. It made a lot of sense, but it didn't really work. And it, it really did lack intensity. And I, I really, I, I'm fascinated by the idea of how England are going to practice against England, against the Lions. I have it, I have this idea in my mind that, you set up a, a scenario, okay, you be Australia, <laughs> and and it's 360 for four. Um, we're on the verge of going out the test match. It's day two. We're going to play a session of 100% intensity, two hours. I want you to give it absolutely everything. Would a scenario like that work? Or how do you see, because they're not going to play a standard three-day or four-day game against each other, are they? I don't think they'll play the, the three or four day game against each other. But what you have is you have in the early part of the practice, I think, of, of getting to Australia, it will just be 
the, the, the good thing about having all them players there is the intensity will be high. You've got players who are wanting to show the selectors this is, you know, the, the selection panel I want in the team. And you'll you'll also be looking at, you know, from a bowler's point of view, I'd be if I was silver, I'd be in, I'd be looking at the likes of Cars, who potentially could come into the latter part of the tour because if something happened to Woody or one of the bowlers, I think what you what you've got is you've got a group of people who have got a high level of in, intensity naturally because the, the the sort of top cricketers are you know, fourteen players on the verge of Test cricket, seventeen players who have played Test match cricket. That for me can only benefit when you're practicing because. Good bowlers are going at you know, your top batsmen. That you're not having net bowlers, and that sometimes can cause you problems from an intensity point of view. The game situations as they go on, well, you 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 set up game situations. You're right, you're absolutely right. You set up the game situations to suit the, the, the individuals who are practicing at that time. So, you know, you'd be giving brand new balls to Broad Anderson and and, and Wood um, if that's going to be your bowling attack for the. And your opening batters are going in against against them, and your middle order batsmen will be going in when the ball is twenty overs old, or hopefully when it's twenty overs old, and just try and set situations up that make sure it's close to the game situation as possible, but actually in the middle, and you've got fielders and players. You visually, it's 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 something close to where you where you need to be for 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 the first test in Brisbane. Final point, um, we heard Stuart Broad there say that he thinks it's unrealistic that he'll play in all five test matches. But this is what Mark Wood had to say about his prospects of playing all five. Personally, I, I feel good and I've backed up games um, in the last year, two or three times. So it's not as if it's just a one-off data dream. Why couldn't I, why couldn't I back up five games? So um, if I'm looked after well and I'm bowling well, then hopefully that would be the case. But if it's right to play, I mean, I want to be bowling... 90 mile an hour and having that snap and that pace and that threat and if that's not there then you know I need to take a backward step and then come back again when I'm when I'm firing again but throughout the summer I felt felt good a good place. That's Mark Wood saying that uh, he's confident he can play all five test matches. So who's got it right, Harmy? And and should we even be thinking at this point or even at any stage before the series about rest and rotation or should we just play the best and the fittest bowlers? And choose them, you know, before the test match, before each test match. Yeah, I think so. I think, to be honest, they've both got it right. That sounds contradicting because obviously they're saying different things, but I think they've both got it right. Stuart will say the ECB line and say the line that what's been happening in, in, in recent past where the, the, the rotation policy or trying to rest people and protect them has stood them in decent stead. But it's like last year, needs most. Anderson and Robinson, because of injuries probably wouldn't have played all five test matches. But because of injuries and form and other bowlers not being around and being able to get picked, and Robinson and Anderson were going out for all five. He would, then two would have played all five test matches. So I think in principle, they probably will look to, to rest bowlers and try and get the fittest bowlers each time to go out and play in five days of heat in, in Australia. But if it comes to it and you win the first, or you go into the first test match with Broad, Anderson, Robinson would, and that works. They play in the second, and then there's a great break before Christmas, and you roll them out again. And if things are going well, or you're still you're trying to get a result, if they they're your four best bowlers, you roll them out again, and you try and get them into a position to play all five if, if need be. Injury will let you down, obviously, 
but I think Mark has to go into it. Mark Wood has to go into the series with a mindset thinking he's going to play all five. And if he does play all five, it means England have got a chance of winning because if, if he, if he doesn't play all five, it means that obviously the, the, the series is probably gone because I think he's our trump card. Unfortunately for Mark, he's the only quick, quick bowler that we've got in the 17-man squad. And I think from a variation of attack point of view, I think we need that pace. We haven't even spoken about border closures between states, and I don't think we will because we don't know what's going on there. Time now to hear exclusively from the England batsman, Dan Lawrence, who looks set to play in his first Ashes series this winter. He was speaking at the LV Insurance In With Heart Tour at Leighton Community Centre. So, Dan, you're here at Leighton Community Centre with the LV Insurance In With Heart campaign. Just how much more important is it for you to, to be back in an area you know well, giving back to the community? It's been brilliant. Um, it's been really nice to, well, to actually find out a lot more information over the last couple of weeks about the about the initiative and and what it does for for kids and families. And, and it's been really nice to hear about that and um, to to have the chance to come somewhere very near home and um, and help out wherever I can is um, is a good feeling. Mm. So it would have been difficult during a pandemic just to use that one million pound elsewhere, but it, it just shows the commitment the ECB have, I guess, to to grassroots cricket. Yeah, well, it, it, it's very important. Uh, it, it's it, it's how we, we're going to get in 20 years' time the, the next crop of, of England players coming through and it has to start from somewhere. So I think even with what has happened, I think it's very important that the money does be, get pumped into local clubs and grassroots, cr- grassroots cricket. Because, for example, I, I'm, a, I'm a product of it. it, it without the funding um, helping my club stay alive, Probably I probably wouldn't be playing, and as well as a lot of my Essex teammates and quite a few of the England teammates. And you've ticked off Essex captain, you've ticked off an England debut, and, and now looking ahead, you've got an Ashes series to look forward to. So how excited are you that I guess the talking is starting to be over and that you're starting to focus on the cricket? Yeah, it, it's quite relieving, actually. Obviously, it's above my pay grade to, to know what was going on in all the negotiations and stuff. But now we know we're going and, and we're getting into training and... Uh, and and ju- just to have the the, the sort of honour and the and the privilege of of even being on the plane going on a, on an Ashes series is um is a real dream come true for me. So yeah, I'm I'm on a bit of a high at the moment. Absolutely. And how much sort of confidence does it give you? I know it was sort of a different competition playing with the Lions, but you you had success down under in Australia a few years back. So how much confidence does that give you heading into an Ashes series? Um, yeah, it gives me a um, it gives me a fair bit of confidence actually. Um, I think just getting used to some of the grounds that that this played out. Obviously, I ticked off the Gabba and the MCG, which are two big venues for Australia. It, it's always been a place where I've enjoyed going and playing cricket, and um, it, it's an amazing country. And the grounds are all incredible. The cricket's tough, but I think if you just sort of enjoy it for what it is and, and enjoy the whole Australian experience, it's um, it's very very special. I guess that's uh, something as a sort of young batsman with runs under your belt. There's already talk of our, some of the batsmen are going to have to step up and, and help Joe in this Ashes series. So a man that's got that currency already, that must be a great feeling. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's going to be very important for, for, for all of us to, to chip in and, and, and really make it count when we, when we get in over there. It's going to be a whole squad effort. Um, whatever the starting level is at the start, I think... I think we're going to need the whole squad to, to contribute at some stage in the Ashes. But I'm very confident if we play to our potential that 
that will be a match or if not better than the Aussies. Just a final couple before I let you go. Have you spoke to Sir Alistair about playing in Australia? Because obviously he was part of that series in 2010-11 where he, where he couldn't seem to stop scoring runs at one point. Uh, I've only very informally spoken to him about it. Uh, I probably will at some stage have a little chat with him before I go. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't had a proper serious chat with him about it. But he does, obviously, in conversation, it gets brought up um, about his experiences down under. He's, he'll obviously be a brilliant one to talk to because he's had some real highs there, a couple of lows as captain. Um, so he's un, he's got the good and the bad side of it. So I think he'll, he might have a couple of good points, not only for me, but for anyone who wants to speak to him. And you talked about playing out in Australia a couple of minutes ago. You also had a spell in the Big Bash now with that coming along, the IPO expanding to, to 10 teams. Is that something that you want to sort of dip your feet into? 100%. 100%. Pigeonholed as a Red Bull cricketer, um, my 2020 cricket's really come on in the last few years, and um, and yeah, I'm desperate to have opportunities in these leagues, and 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 I'm I'd love to be a part of this um, of one of the franchises in the next IPL, um, as any player would be. It, it can it can only help develop your your game, being around some of the names and some of the experience there. So yeah, I'm I'm dead keen to to get on the um, 2020 scene. And final question, linking back to sort of today's event, we saw. In 2005, just how big an impact the Ashes had. I'm, I'm sure you were sort of a youngster at the time watching the likes of Harmison and the Hoggard come in. But are you sort of hoping for a similar effect this time around in, in 2021? I know it's different insofar as it's being played through the night, so it'd be harder for young kids to stay up. But that sort of role model type person to young kids, really. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think obviously the 2005 Ashes was a real was a real memorable series for for all of us. Um, I, I really fell in love with cricket when during that series I had so many players that I looked up to and loved and um, and hopefully, well, any England team that win the Ashes, it will bring traction. So I'm sure, even though it is in Australia, if we start to win, I'm sure people, more and more people will start to get up and watch and um, there's a real opportunity to make a name for yourself. That's the That's the amazing thing about it. England batsman Dan Lawrence speaking to Talk Sports. Scott Taylor on the LV Insurance In With Heart Tour, supported by the Funds for Runs initiative. Harmi, we thought that uh, the conference system would remain for another year, but it uh, now has been confirmed that the championship does return to two divisions, 10 in the first, eight in the second. Your thoughts initially? Yeah, I think it's the right thing to go back to, to two divisions. Like we said in the last few weeks, the the intensity, and I've said that word again more times in this in this show, the the the, the latter part of that three the conferences, when teams in sort of conference two and conference three or division two division three, were the intensity wasn't great, and it wasn't as it was a little bit, bit meaningless. There was nothing on, especially at the bottom end of the. So you had to change the concept of it that way. I looked at the way it's been scheduled, i.e. off 2019, pre-COVID, which I thought that was a little bit unfair, especially for teams last year. I thought with, with the system that it was, I thought they could have gone with the, the top the top two teams in each of the conferences who had played well, worked hard, and you know, played good cricket last year at the start of the start of the, the, the first class summer. I thought they they should have been in the um in the in division in division one but hey look it's 
it is what it is. And I think you've just got to, you know, the, the teams have got to do the best they possibly can to, to start going two up, two down. We are eight teams in the second division. I would rather have seen eight teams in the first division, to be honest, 10 teams in the second division and make that first division a very, very difficult league to get into and a very, and, and a, and a, Proper, proper cricket. You know, with eight of the best teams in the next four or five years going head to head, and I think the the level of cricket were, for me would have gone would have gone through the roof. Yeah, I, I it just doesn't seem to make a great deal of sense that uh, that that teams can't be rewarded for the form that uh, they've shown in the last couple of years. I mean, why would you have to go back to twenty nineteen? Anyway, yeah. as you said, it is what it is. Um, now there were a couple of really big talking points, particularly omissions from that Lions squad that was named to go to Australia. I'm still trying to find out exactly what they're going to be doing because it sounds to me like they're in for a heck of a lot of hanging around. I think there's one scheduled game against England before the the first test match, but otherwise I think they're going to be, you know, hanging around and, and net bowling unless they are able to recreate those intensity sessions like we discussed earlier. But, but for you, Liam Livingston's obviously a, one of the, the big talking points. He wasn't omitted. I mean, there are people saying that he might have snuck into the Ashes squad. But any other talking points for you? No, I, I was surprised at the Livingston one. Um, and then when they come out and say, well, his red, red Bull form hasn't been, and I'm like, raise Red Bull numbers. And I'm like, stop picking people for numbers. You, there, are, there are stats that you go off. There are numbers that you need. But unfortunately, when you see a player who's got the temperament that Liam's got, you pick him. Flintoff, Peterson, Pierre, players that I've played, Vaughan. Numbers, whether great, whether not great, don't matter. You put them on stage in front of thousands of people and they performed. And that, for me, watching Liam, Liam Livingston in the last 12 months playing for England, when he play, when he goes on the big stage, it seems to get the best out of him. I think there's some players that possibly play better in front of 25,000 people rather than playing in front of 20,000 and then playing in front of 20 people. And I, Liam seems to be that weird. And I think going in the middle order, I think would have been a, a, a good thing for England. Somebody, when you go to Australia, you need somebody, you need, you need a bit of ticker, you need a bit of heart, you need a bit of character, you know, you need a bit of fight, you know, somebody that's, that's, you know, a little bit different, somebody that's going to puff the chest out, somebody like the Australians, somebody with ego, somebody with a bit of arrogance. And Liam looks as though he's got that. And I would, I would have just had him in. I would have had him in the squad. And if he went, if he goes well in the in the warm-ups, then I, I'd, I'd chuck him in because Australia wouldn't want, to, want to, wouldn't want to face somebody like that, somebody that's going to come hard at them. We sometimes look the soft side. I think natural characters that we've got in our side portray that as well. Liam doesn't have that. He, he, he's got a bit of ego and, and arrogance about him, which I, I like. Talking, okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to mention numbers now again, because you can't um, ignore them all, but Sam Cook took 58 wickets at 14. Yeah. You know, the man with the greatest nickname in the game, Little Chef, they call him, don't they? The, <laughs> I mean, what's going on there? 58 wickets at 14, is it? Is it just a case of, I'm sorry, you, you, you're lacking a yard? What, what is it? Possibly you're, you're lacking a yard. Possibly we've got you covered. We've got you covered. The bowlers that are going on the trip um, have got you covered. And some of the the, the the Alliance bowlers 
I think the, the top heavy in opening batsmen, because obviously that's where the, the test team are, are probably going to be most vulnerable. And they've got a couple of quick bowlers out there who are different to what Broad, Anderson, Wokes can bring to the, to the party. And I think because of that, I think Sam Cook just missed out because we've got him covered. You know, I, I, would it be nice for him to go from, from the experience point of view and a reward for what he's done this in this year and the years previous? He was another one that I was thinking, you know what, he deserves to go. But I just think that England must think that they've got that side covered. And even if they get a couple of injuries, they're still going to have it covered because of the bowlers that are that are that are going over in in any case. So he probably did deserve recognition. But the only thing I can think of is that he's not going because England feel as though even with injuries, we've gotten covered and he wouldn't get anywhere near the, the, the test team. And I think that is that's a story for the Lions. You know, they're, they're going over there just to basically cover the holes that England feel as though they might open up, i.e. Yeah, we might need a quick bowler. We might need a couple of opening batsmen if we have a shocker. Um, and I think that's what the Lions squad have been picked for. And that, that's what they seem to be to be heavily, heavily an open batsman and a couple of quick balls. Brilliant. Thanks, Army. This has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the great Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast now available from the following on feed on the TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for this week. We'll see you again, same time, same place next week. Hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.